This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to a special at issue Mississippi's debate over legalizing medical marijuana. 34 states have already approved the use of medical marijuana and millions of Americans are enrolled in the programs. And in just a few weeks, voters in Mississippi will decide if this state will become the 35th. There are two medical marijuana proposals on the November ballot. Mississippi voters can choose between a citizen-sponsored initiative, measure number 65, and an alternative measure, 65A, approved by legislators. Or voters can select neither. Joining me tonight are Angie Calhoun with the Campaign for Medical Marijuana 2020 and State Board of Health member Jim Perry. Tonight we will learn more about Initiative 65 and Alternative 65A and we'll hear arguments for and against both proposals. Thank you both for joining us tonight, and we look forward to our discussion this evening. During tonight's special, we will be answering questions submitted online. We're engaging with you on social media, and we're also taking phone calls. The number to call to ask your question is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. In order for Alternative 65A to become part of the November ballot, lawmakers had to pass it, which they did during the legislative session earlier this year. Republican State Representative Trey Lamar of Senatobia presented the alternative on the House floor. He called Initiative 65 illegitimate and explained why. Did you know there's no regulation whatsoever in the language about How many licenses that will be given out? There's a similar state in Oklahoma that has over 10,000 marijuana licenses. How do you think the State Department of Health is going to properly regulate that amount of licenses for people in the marijuana business? I'm going to go ahead and tell you they're not. Not because they're not capable, because they physically can't. Were you aware that under this program, which you get a script for medical marijuana, it's good for a year. Did you know how much marijuana you can get? Specifically state, and will state in our Constitution if it passes, two and a half ounces every 14 days. Let's just say five ounces every 28 days or five ounces a month. Y'all know how much weed that is? 300 joints a month. 300 joints marijuana joints a month. Let's say somebody smokes three joints a day, okay, for an entire month. At the end of the month, they've got 200 joints left. What, where's that? What's going to happen to that weed? So when I tell you this language is just one step removed from straight up medical, um, straight up recreational marijuana, that's what I mean. The intent of this language is to totally flood the market of this state with marijuana. 
It's a major overreach, and it's not what the individuals who signed up for this thought they were signing. Republican Representative Joel Bumgar of Madison challenged Lamar's intentions in presenting an alternative measure. Baumgar says he invited his colleague to the table during the drafting phases of Initiative 65. Baumgar says Initiative 65 is the better option because he believes the language in the alternative is too vague and won't help enough people to make a difference. Both of my parents died from the kind of cancer that takes over your body, shuts it down, and you die in, a, in an extraordinary amount of pain over, over years or months or however long that process goes. And they had chemotherapy, they had opioids, they had all of that stuff, and they died in extreme pain. I remember my dad telling me that every day he woke up and his question for the day was, will I be able to stay on top of the pain today? After my parents passed away, I was talking to some of the cancer doctors that were involved in their treatment, and they told me that medical marijuana would have really helped my parents, but that they were not even allowed to tell them about it because we live in the state of Mississippi. And of course, my parents, I've never used any illegal substance in my entire life, neither of my parents. That was not something we would have even considered. And so people in Mississippi are dying in way more pain than is necessary because 34 states have done something that we have not decided to do. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no reason again to believe that the program that would be created if HCR 39 became the law would, would serve any more than 10 people. But it doesn't even matter because HCR 39 was never intended to, kill, to, uh, to create a program, ladies and gentlemen. HCR 39 was intended to kill medical marijuana in Mississippi. After a heated debate that lasted over an hour, the House voted largely along party lines 71 to 49 to pass alternative 65A for voters to decide on in the November election. We want to remind you the phone lines are open for you to call in and ask your question live. Dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'd like to start talking with our guests now. Uh, let me start with you, uh, Angie. So we have this initiative on the ballot now, in addition to the alternative. Give us a little bit of background on how we got to this point. Well, um, Initiative 65, of course, was brought on by Joel Baumgar, our legislator. And it was, you know, to help sick patients. And, you know, my son, Austin, I've given my testimony. And, um, you know, seven years ago, he was diagnosed with Lyme disease and which has created a ton of issues like chronic nausea and vomiting and severe joint pain and, um, and, and seizures as well. And we tried the 20, we saw 20 doctors, we tried 17 prescriptions for over 18 months and they were not working. So therefore, you know, we did research and we found and, and knew that medical marijuana helped patients with nausea and vomiting and seizures and pain. So um, Austin at the age of 19 decided that it would be best for him to, to go to a state with a legal and regulated and functioning program. And, um, and so he did and um, I stayed with him until he was well enough. The medical marijuana worked wonders for him. It suppressed the seizures. He was able to eat once again. The, um, the pain subsided. Um, so, you know, even today though, if he were to not, not to be able to use medical marijuana, those, those symptoms do return. 
and um, and so we're just this this program initiative 65 is uh, a great framework for the amendment it's you know based upon pharmacy uh, layouts and uh, and and I, I just know that you know, the opposition talks about, you know, too much wording and this and that, but I have to say 65A for me as a parent is not a working program whatsoever. We'll get into more of the details of 65A in a moment, but Jim, we've heard stories like Angie's before of, of people uh, who have these conditions that are helped uh, when they go other places for medical marijuana. Given those stories and stories like, uh, uh, like Angie's, uh, are you still against uh, uh, medical marijuana in Mississippi? Sure, and thanks for having me, Wilson. And it's great to have this conversation because it's a complex issue. This is a, actually a six or seven page amendment. It's gonna go in the state constitution. The number of pages depends on how, long, how large the font is. But if the issue is about helping uh, Angie and her son, well, of course, everybody's for that. Uh, but that's not what's going into the constitution. It's not gonna say, do we wanna help people like Angie and her son, it's gonna say, do you want to give special protections to a $14 billion a year industry, that protections that no other product or medicine come close to having? And, and that's what this is about. The out-of-state marijuana industry, which is heavily invested in by big tobacco companies that have a history of lying to us with deceptive and fraudulent practices, they are rebranding marijuana with stories like this, but it ignores the real risks that are inherent in it. And if it was about helping just Angie's son, of course people are for that. But why do we have to, along the way, give immunity to, immunity to the marijuana companies where nobody associated with them can be liable for any criminal or civil activity? Why are we not taxing it? Why are we not giving the same opt-out to local communities like states like California give? Why are we uh, giving them these, this ability to operate with uh, impunity across the state? It's because this is about money to them, because they're marketing to kids and they want to create this addiction for profit enterprise like we've seen in other states. That's what this actual amendment says, and it goes way beyond uh, a, a very, very narrow question about whether or not you want to help people. If it's medicine, we want to treat it like medicine, and that's the Board of Health's position. So would it be, would the Board of Health support medical marijuana if it were not in the form of a constitutional amendment? Well, certainly being in the Constitution makes it a lot harder because with any law, with any new program, especially something as complex as marijuana, the legislature makes reg regular changes to protect patients, to protect our citizens. But if it's in the Constitution, any substantive change, Wilson, it's going to require another vote of the people. We're learning, there's a lot we don't know about marijuana, there's some we do know. The National Academy of Science says there's risk of increased psychosis and schizophrenia. The National Institutes of Health says that even if you use just a little bit, when you're a teen or a young adult under the age of 25, there's significant increased risk for brain damage. We know those things. Now at the same time, we do know there's some, some medicinal uh, parts some medicinal benefits to components of, of marijuana, that there's four FDA-approved drugs now in Mississippi, Food and Drug Administration drugs that have had clinical trials, blind testing where you know the dosage, you know what's in it, you know the risks, and doctors actually write a prescription for that. We would like to have more of that. We would like for the federal laws to be changed so we can do more research on marijuana. That's real medicine. That's on the way to creating a real medical marijuana program, which we would absolutely support. But what Initiative 65 does is enshrine in the state constitution very special protections to this industry that I'm sure the tobacco industry wishes they'd had back in the 50s and 60s when they were telling us that, you know, smoke more camels because it's good for your throat irritation. That's not the right way. 
Well, last night uh, was the fifth and final public hearing regarding Initiative 65 and 65A. As required by law, the Secretary of State's office hosted hearings in each of the old five congressional districts. About 100 people attended last night's forum in Jackson, with more than a dozen speaking for or against the two proposals. This isn't a physician versus politicians. It's a citizens versus politicians simply because the fact that we've been asking for them to do it for 20 bills. If they really was going to do it, they would have done it. We the citizens now have a chance to do the right thing, and we need to do that. We need to not let bureaucrats continue to make up the rules for us. They want to say, you know, well, you know, don't you want your elected officials to do it? No, our elected officials aren't doing it. That's the problem. We went door to door with my three-year-old and my four-year-old in his St. Andrew's school uniform asking people to sign this petition. And can I tell you, nine out of ten people signed that petition. They believe that people should have access to this medication if they are sick. We want our physicians to have choices in treating us, and we do not want our politicians in our medical care. Get out of the room. It's not their place. I'm for all the vets, the 200,000 vets in this state, to be available to get medical marijuana. But I want to tell you something. If you take ice cream or cola or vodka and you put medical in front of it, it doesn't make it medical. And what 65 is, is just it's pot, period. It's marijuana. Under this program, it's going 500 feet next to your churches, your schools, your parks, playgrounds, things like that. 500 feet. We have stricter regulations for liquor stores than we're going to put in place for a federally illicit substance. I think that the passion from the Pro 65 folks and also the um, interest, the general interest, if you look at the percentage of people who want to do it, there is interest in having a medical marijuana program, but there's, there's got to be a better way. And I think if we do want to do it, we need to look at 65A. And as the director of the state health department, if we pass 65A, I promise that I will work to make sure it's a successful program. And don't forget the phone lines are open for you to call in and ask your questions live. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. And we have a caller on the line right now. This is Robert from Natchez. Robert, go ahead with your question, please. Good evening. Thank you very much. Good uh, evening. I'm, so, I'm sorry I've been listening to the rest of the program, and it makes it really hard to stay concise with what I wish to say when I hear all the, the things that are being said online before my question. So I, again, will try to be concise. It appears to me that 65 and 65A and no, it appears that the Republicans have just totally obfuscated the situation, adding another question, hoping to dilute the, the, the answer that Mississippians want to this bill. It should be yes or no, which I believe would go yes, but again, obfuscation. Please address. Robert, thank you. Angie, do you agree with that, that the alternative 65A does what he suggests it does? Yes, I absolutely do. It, it's a last minute ditch, 65A, was put on the ballot by our politicians. It's so vague, and it is—it's just not—it's um, not appropriate for our state and for the good citizens of our state who are suffering. And um, you know, 
and he's so right, it's not fair. I've had so many people to come up to me and say, look, you know, we're supporting this, but the ballot is so confusing. I mean, what do we do? And so, you know, therefore I go through the process with them and explain it. And, um, and then they're like, okay, I'm just thankful that I had this ballot and somebody to explain this to me because it is confusing and it's a very long ballot this year. And so, um, you know, and it's at the very end as well. And obviously you would advocate for people to choose yes to the first question that we should adopt one of these and obviously choose 65 uh, to the second question. I absolutely uh, would. Wilson, it seems like the caller's problem is, highlights the, one of the very issues we have here, which is his problem is with the state's initiative and referendum process. And maybe we should change it, but you know why we can't change it? Because it's in the Constitution. It's a constitutional wording that requires that if there are signatures that come in like this, the legislature is then presented to the legislature and they put it on the ballot. And that wording that's on the ballot, that I agree, it's confusing. We know why the wording is like that? It's because it's in the Constitution. The only way we can change that is if we have another vote of the people. So this exact, uh, this is a perfect example about why it's such a flaw to go through this process with such a, well, this is issue is way more complex than the initiative and referendum process. And that initiative and referendum process, that's a half a page. This is a seven page constitutional amendment on an issue as complex of how we're gonna treat multitudes of diseases. I, I think that kind of proves our point. We have another caller on the line. This is uh, Harvey from Texas. Harvey, go ahead with your question, please. Harvey, are you there? Go ahead with your question, please. Yes, um, I to pick on. Okay, what's wrong? With, what's wrong with marijuana? Legalized marijuana. The helping people. A lot of people have cataracts. A lot of people can't see, and, and marijuana helps their eyesight and all that. Thank you, Harvey. Uh, Jim, I'll let you take that one. What's what's wrong with legalizing marijuana? <laughs> well, the, the the purpose of this amendment is to ostensibly for medicinal purposes, but the problem is that the conditions that are listed, there's a couple that are that are catch-all. Uh, one is for chronic pain, which is very tough to define or question, and the other is for uh, basically anything a, a physician says that they think is worthwhile. Well, unfortunately, as we've seen with opioid pill mills in Mississippi and across the country, unfortunately, there's some doctors that for the right amount of money will give a certificate for just about anything. And what concerns me as a member of the Board of Health and as a parent is that if we market marijuana as medicine, it gives the, the impression that it's okay and that it's safe. And kids will think, oh, it's, it's medicine, it's okay, because my buddy Johnny, he got the, the 10 joints a day because his, his mom signed the certificate. If we want to have a debate about legalizing marijuana, let's do that. As a matter of fact, the people who are really financing and supporting this initiative, it's, they're, they're pro-legalization industry. I mean, I think it's uh, really important to follow the money here because almost two, more than $2 million has come from out-of-state groups or people that are associated with the marijuana industry. I get a kick every time I hear uh, uh, people say this is about the politicians versus the people. Well, the number one advocate for Initiative 65 is a politician. He's a businessman. He's put well over a million dollars, Joel Baumgart, into this initiative, and he's on the board of directors of a venture capital fund that invests in marijuana companies. It's not shocking that he has a particular interest in this. The Marijuana Leadership Campaign, which is an out-of-state group, has put in more than $500,000. The Campia Consulting Group, $120,000, who's the person who runs that, Mr. Campia, is an advocate for legalizing ecstasy. 
why is, why is somebody named Doug Marks from Illinois, who's in the recreational pot business in Illinois, interested in what we do with our marijuana laws in Mississippi? So that's one side. The other side is the Mississippi Hospital Association who's against this, the American Hospital Association, the Mississippi Independent Pharmacists Association, the Mississippi Pediatric Group, the Farm Bureau, the Mississippi Board of Health, the Mississippi Municipal League, the Mississippi Police Chiefs, the Mississippi Sheriff's Association, Governor Reeves, former Governor Bryant, the Mississippi Federation of Republican Women, the American Family Association, the Mississippi Baptist Convention, the Pentecostal Church. So these are Mississippi groups and then on the other side, it's pushing Initiative 65, who I, I really fear are taking advantage of the hopes and desires of, of people who are hurting because they, are see, they see a path to making more money with constitutional protections that keep their costs low and their ability to distribute marijuana, marijuana wide. There's gotta be a better way. Angie, before we move on, I'll give you a chance to respond to that. There was a lot there. It was. Um, you know, I've actually read both amendments and several times and you know, obviously, you know, there's a different take on it, but we have a detailed plan and, you know, it states and it covers so much. And, you know, 34 other states have plans and our plan is based upon a conservative plan that has been used throughout other states and they've worked. None have been rejected or, or revoked. And so, you know, I just, I think, that our legislators need to remember that this is about sick people, people that are hurting and they need help now, right away. It's been 20 years that our legislators have tabled it. That 20 years is too long. We have sick people like my son, Austin, who has to live in another state away from his family. I've once had to have our landlord go to his house and take him to the emergency room because I wasn't able to get there in time. That's painful and hurtful as a mother. You mentioned the details in, uh, in 65, and, and one thing we've heard from voters is that they're confused by the language and, and determining the difference between uh, the initiative and, uh, and the alternative. So specifically, uh, the 65, when the, the plan you refer to, actually specifies 22 qualifying conditions. Mm -hmm. What are some of those debilitating uh, conditions that qualify and can any others be uh, added later or any deleted? Mm -hmm. Well, these debil 22 debilitating conditions were actually uh, doctors worked with Initiative 65 and in putting them onto our plan. And so, um, you know, we have ALS, we have the um, cachexia, the chronic wasting disease. We have do have chronic pain and you know when you see your child unable to walk down a stairwell because his joints are aching so badly or worrying that he could fall down the stairs having a seizure, it's very alarming and epilepsy is one of the you know the debilitating conditions and we know many, many children who are young and have been sent home to die where medical marijuana has given those families hope and, and, and has, their children are actually living a quality of life. And what about down the road though? Can, how can this be altered if, we needed to, if, a, if a condition needed to be added or subtracted from the list? Yeah, well, that the Department of Health is a very smart and educated 
department there, and so they can work with doctors. And doctors, too, uh, you know, they can go in and look at some of these and work with their patients. Doctors are very smart, and nobody is in this to, you know, sell children or get them on, you know, a, a medication. Parents are smart, and they'll put it up and take care of them. Um, you know, I, 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 I dislike when, you know, the opposition says that, you know, children are going to be, you know, susceptible to, you know, obtaining this and taking it to school or different things. No reasonable parent would ever allow that to happen. Uh, Jim. Unfortunately, there's a lot of unreasonable parents. And what we've, we, we were looking at this because, look, my, my first reaction when I first heard about this was to be for it. Because you hear a story like Angie's, and you, you want to help. And, and that's, that's natural. Um, but as the Board of Health, we had to dig deeper. And we had to talk to the other states to see, okay, what, what, what has been your experience? What has been your lessons learned here? And we, we do see in other states the marijuana industry marketing to kids with things like ring pots, things that look like the hard candy that little kids get after a soccer game, or pot tarts. Why are we marketing, why are we marketing to kids like this when it's ostensibly for medicinal purposes? And, and look, I, I, this, the stories about people that, that believe that marijuana may help them, they may have in certain situations and it may, may haven't. But you know, there's a lot of diseases and hurt and pain in the world and a lot of people want to get cures wherever. But every other medicine, we have a, a, a process to make sure it's safe, that the promised benefits are real and that the risks are recognized and have an ability to manage. So why in the world would, you know, for example, opioids, you know, in the last couple of years, we realized it's a real big problem. 15, 20 years ago, it was seen as a savior for pain in a lot of ways. Well, thank God it's not in the Constitution because now it make it a whole lot harder for us to, to manage that. We need to make sure that this, if it's medicine, treat it like medicine, have a prescription, be able to go to the pharmacy to get it, have the FDA actually approve it so that we know that we can control dosage and that here's a, here's a, a marijuana joint that has THC of 20%, here's one that has 80%. What does it do? What does it do to your lungs? The American Lung Association says it does damage not just to your lungs but to your heart. That's why we don't need to give special protections uh, in, to this entire industry immunity to them, it's both civil and criminal. I mean, what if we find out 10 years from now that they engaged in the same deceptive and fraudulent practices that the tobacco industry did? Altria, who's the company that owns the Marlboro Man, they're a $1.8 billion investor in the marijuana industry. We need to be able to protect ourselves long-term, not just try to say, I, I feel sorry for people hurting, maybe this will help, so let's put a bunch of protections into our state constitution. Uh, that's, not, that's not the right way. We gotta be smarter in this, make sure we don't get scammed along the way. The, back to the uh, debilitating conditions that qualify, none are mentioned specifically in 65A. Why, why is that? See, the, there's several things along this way that the advocates for 65 say is a flaw, and, and I and a lot of others say it's a strength. What 65A does is it directs the state legislature, directs them to say, you've got to come up with a program, and here are the guardrails. It can't go beyond this or you know, too far than here or too, way, too far that other way, but come up with something, and that thing can be adjusted along the way. You know, when I, I met with Mr. Baumgar uh, a little over a year ago to talk about this, and he was, he was walking through the process, and I said to, my, I said to him, I said, well, Mr. Baumgar, I, I sure wish you knew somebody in the legislature that could change a state law. The, most, the biggest advocate of this is in the state legislature. And he said, well, they'll never pass anything. They said the same thing about the state flag. How long did we hear for years, oh, the legislature will never change the state flag? Well, in June, they changed it. It requires working together and, and making compromises. 
What Mr. Baumgart and the marijuana industry are doing with this amendment, though, is saying we want everything, everything that we've seen that hurts our ability to make profits in other states, we'll take it out of this. California gives local governments the ability to opt out and say we don't want to sell it in our communities. And more than two-thirds of those communities say no. The Baumgart amendment says no community can put any restriction on where a dispensary goes. That's not compromise. And that may be one of the reasons why the legislature hasn't passed it, a real medical marijuana program along the way. All right, we have a question uh, that we've received on social media, and uh, a viewer asks, uh, hasn't the University of Mississippi been studying marijuana for over 40 years? And that question's from Mariposa Pigott from uh, Facebook. Uh, Ole Miss has been growing marijuana for some time, I believe. Are, are you familiar with that program and how that might play into all of this? Yes, I'm somewhat familiar with the program. And, um, you know, so we, we know that they have been growing since, I believe, the mid-60s. And so that's an extensive amount of research and data that they should have there. And um, I know that they, I've heard somebody say there are thousands of pages of research. And so, you know, I believe that by now there, there should be enough research and data out there. And um, the people who are sick and suffering who have used it in 34 other states prove that nine times out of ten this product works it helps people to have quality of life once again well 30, 34 other states have not approved initiative 65 we have a different language and structure in our constitutional amendment than the other 34 states and on the marijuana research lab at Ole Miss as a board of health we had a hearing uh, last December uh, the the Baumgart uh, group pro initiative 65 group came and so did the people that run the research lab at Ole Miss. And they had examined the language in Issue 65, and they said it was a bad idea, that it wasn't a real medical marijuana program, and they're against it. So let's listen to the researchers in this situation. We thank you for tuning in. This is a special ad issue. I'm Wilson Stribling, and with me are Ng Calhoun with the Campaign for Medical Marijuana 2020, and Jim Perry, who's a member of the State Board of Health. We are examining the issue of whether medical marijuana should be legalized in the state by way of a constitutional amendment. You may call us with your questions. The phone lines are open now. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 672-7464. And we, uh, again, appreciate you all being with us uh, this evening. Um, Angie, under Initiative 65, what are some of the ways in which a qualifying person can actually consume marijuana? Mm -hmm. Well, there are multiple ways. And patients are different. Everybody is different. And so, uh, yes, um, they can smoke it. There, it can be processed into different forms, like an oil or a distillate. And that makes it to where, you know, it could be vaporized. Um, for my son, he, he doesn't smoke it. He does have to vaporize it because he has chronic nausea and vomiting. And we all know what that means your medicine won't stay down. So no, he can't eat edibles. He has to inhale it, which is the very quickest form of getting relief. And so therefore, you know, it, it um, makes it, it, it better for him. And so there are many different forms, uh, you know, that it can be processed into. And those, after it has been processed, the, the product will have a certificate of analysis that will be very, very detailed. There will be a scan code on every single product that all the person has to do is hold this phone up, scan it, and it will tell them exactly 
what is in the product. If it's 10% THC, if it's 5%, if it's 20%, 20% is high, 30%, but people who are terminal may definitely need that. We have another caller on the line with a question for us. This is uh, Rob from Tupelo. Rob, go ahead with your question, please. Yes, uh, someone made the comment a while ago that uh, that, I, that uh, Initiative 65 is, is conservative. So I was trying to figure out what's conservative about um, restricting local municipalities the uh, the constitutional right to to uh, license, zone, and even regulate uh, these uh, marijuana dispensaries. So. Um, so in, in Tupelo, we have a great uh, Main Street there. So basically, it sounds like Initiative 65, which been, has been labeled as conservative, would allow a near unlimited number of um, marijuana dispensaries. So I just wanted to see if that's true or not. Angie, I'll let you go first with that one. Okay. Well, again, Initiative 65 is a well-regulated amendment and a very well thought out. We based, again, our process upon pharmacy, pharmacies, have to be 500 feet from schools and from churches, et cetera. And so that's, we have 500 feet away from any of those uh, areas. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, our, our zoning laws are fair and um, that, uh, you know, that's it's good. Jim? Well, section 8.5 of the amendment says that no city or county can have any sort of prohibition or regulation or zoning restriction to in any way impair the sale of marijuana. The reason why they did that, Wilson, is because they saw in other states, like I said earlier, that local governments were saying, no, we don't want this in our community. California, Oregon, Michigan, Colorado, states that have what the public would think would be pretty liberal marijuana laws, more than half of the local governments have opted out. And the marijuana industry, who helped write this, and they're, they're the biggest pushers of it, they don't like that, Wilson. I mean, they, they, they don't want that. So they put it in the Constitutional Amendment, this provision, Section 8.5. And that, I never would have thought that California would have a more restrictive uh, marijuana law in terms of local government control than the state of Mississippi. And that's what would happen if Initiative 65 passes. So 65A, what details uh, are left to be set by the legislature? It does give the legislature uh, more um, uh, or input at all in the process. Uh, tax rates, possession limits, uh, what does the legislature do under 65A? And, and why are such detailed decisions best left up to the legislature instead of uh, the way 65 dictates? Because there's a lot we don't know, and we're going to be know, we're going to know more about marijuana 10 or 20 years from now than we know today. And do we the caller earlier who was complaining about the ballot and the initiative referendum process that passed in the early 90s? Well, today we're saying, wow, that's a really confusing ballot, but it was caused by a constitutional amendment. The legislature would be able to address issues like zoning, would be able to address issues like taxation, would be able to address how the uh, how the product is marketed, et cetera. I met with Marilyn Mumba in the city council of Jackson and, and they said, wait a second, you know, I'm kind of for legalizing marijuana, at least some of them said that, but we can control where a fast food restaurant goes and, and how that operates, but we can't control how a medical marijuana dispensary operates. That's crazy. And that's why the Mississippi Municipal League, bipartisan group of mayors, look, the mayor of Oxford, who's a Democrat, she had an op-ed in the uh, Tupelo Daily Journal yesterday that said, 
I'm for medical marijuana, but this isn't the right way. You know, let's, let's, let's make a better program with 65A. And there's a lot of people who are in favor of the concept that want to help people like Angie and her son and, and hope that the data is real, hope that the anecdotes actually can become evidence to give a path to that. But they say, this, isn't, this, is, this is a bridge too far, and there's got to be a, a better way here. So, Angie, why does 65 uh, not give that authority to the legislature? Well, once again, we go back to the legislators have, for 20 years, tabled this issue. And I, as a mother, have lost faith in that. And I know many stories of people who are tired. They are tired of the legislators putting our children, our loved ones' lives, their quality of life, on the back burner. And I just, I feel like Initiative 65 is a thorough, well thought out plan. They have covered all of the bases. And other, 34 other states have similar plans that it protects people, it, it has zoning regulations. We have zoning regulations. And so this is why, you know, I just believe and know that Initiative 65 is the plan for Mississippi. We have another question from social media. This is from Jacqueline Temple Rudder on Facebook. She asks, can you tell me how I need to vote to vote yes for all chemotherapy patients to have access to medical marijuana? Would it be 65 or 65A? 65. <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, uh, under 65, um, they, you would, that would be the way for 65 now. 65A would give the legislature the ability to create a program like that. And I think one thing that's important here is that if you look, there's been data that shows, research that shows in other states that have created medical marijuana programs for medicinal purposes, less than 5% of the users actually are cancer patients or people with glaucoma or AIDS. The typical medical marijuana card holder in other states is a 32-year-old white male with no history of illness other than a drug and alcohol program problem. So let's make sure that we don't take a sledgehammer out to deal with the fly here. I mean, there, this, this amendment goes way, way further than trying to help people who are in, in need help, way further. Because why are we doing this along the way to give all these special protections to an entire industry so that we can you know, make some people say, yeah, this may be something that works, so here's a way. This, there's gotta be a better way to do this, Wilson. I think that's what 65A would offer for people who want a medical marijuana program for people like chemotherapy patients. Again, on 65A, there is no plan for anybody with any debilitating medical condition. Let's talk a little bit more about the ballot itself. We, we talked about that some people are confused by it. It's been published in some newspapers, it's online. Uh, we're gonna take a look at it now. And, and Angie, kind of walk through with me how, uh, if, if someone uh, is ready to vote on this, uh, how they should go through the process. The first question there is, is uh, you have to vote that you want for approval of either of the initiatives or you are against both. So just to initiate the process, if you know you want one of these to pass, you vote for, for approval to start with. Correct. And then after you've done that, you have to pick uh, 65 or 65A, and obviously you would have people choose uh, 65, and Jim, you would have them pick 65A. Or, or Jim, would you have them say no to the question as a whole? So the interesting thing about this 
ballot, which again, I go back to uh, the problem with putting something in the Constitution, because that ballot looks exactly like that, is in the state constitution. There was no, no flexibility to the state legislature or the state election commission to come up with something different. And I completely agree, it is confusing, which is one of the reasons why we shouldn't make policies like this in the state constitution. But the, fir the way that this works is that the first ballot, the for or against, will be counted. And if the against happens, passes. If more votes, people say I'm against either one of these programs, then the votes for 65 or 65A doesn't matter. If the four happens, at that point, we'll count the votes between 65 and 65A. And whichever one gets the most votes will go into the state constitution if that winning ballot gets more than 40% of the total votes cast in the overall election, which is most likely to be the presidential election. Confusing, isn't it? That's where it gets so, very confusing. So maybe yes. we shouldn't have put this in the state constitution, kind of like we shouldn't put a marijuana program in it. But so the, the issue here is that if you don't want to run the risk of putting anything in, like some people feel very strongly, you don't vote for anything on the second ballot. I view it as a way that I have two chances to beat 65. I'm going to vote against on the first one, and then I'm going to vote for 65A instead of 65. Because 65A puts this issue and gives direction to the state legislature. I heard Governor Reeves on the radio this morning say, well, I mean, the 65A passes, it's directed that way. We've got to do something about it. I heard Speaker of the House Gunn say the same thing. And that is effectively a direction of the legislature. You need to create a real medical marijuana program. So I would encourage people to vote against on the first one, because my preference is that nothing should be in the state constitution along these lines. Let the legislature deal with it. But 65A is a much better way than 65. So against and 65A. And that's where that's an interesting point, too, because even if you vote, you would think that if you vote no on the first question, that you're against mm -hmm. both of these. Uh, in, in the, according to the Constitution, you still get to choose, okay, I'm voting no, uh, but if one of them has to pass, I pick this one. So you can still vote no on the first question and, and pick one of the uh, initiatives uh, down below. Angie, would you like to respond to what um, uh, Jim just said? Yes. I, as a parent, I find it really hard, Jim, to stomach that you would vote no for both because that tells me that you do not support medical marijuana and that we will never ever have a bill brought upon from our legislators. It won't happen and that's why I am supporting Initiative 65. It is a thorough plan, it has facts, and it will implement and be up and running by August of next year. And so there are no I, dates and I, set and I, in the I other. appreciate that. But as a parent, I also know that the actual science and data from the National Institutes of Health, from the National Academy of Science, the Journal of Neuroscience, research, evidence, there is no doubt that smoking marijuana, even one or two joints before the age of 25, poses real risk to kids. And this is something that is being marketed as medicine that has real harm and real risk and real danger. So why is it a measure of my compassion to say whether or not I want to help if, when this is a, the real question is, is there a better way to help that wouldn't along the way create real risk for a lot of other kids? And this isn't just about kids. This, this is about the entire population of the state that is going to add burden on law enforcement because there's no reliable test for drug driving. It's going to add burden on the mental health system. But you know what? We don't get any extra tax revenue to pay for those things. 
that's some of the many flaws that are actually in the actual language of the constitutional amendment, and that's why it's just not the right, the, not the right way to go about trying to help people who, who do need help and do need help managing their pain or their other diseases. And the tax point, because the taxes in 65 don't go to the state legislature, to the state coffers, they go where? They will go to the Department of Health. To administer the program. To administer the program, so correct. All right, we have another caller on the line. Uh, Madeline from Pass Christian is with us. Madeline, go ahead with your question, please. Hi. Um, yeah, so I wanted to know, for people who don't have strong opinions either way, like whether to pass it or not to pass it, what will be the economic benefit for the state of Mississippi? Like you just mentioned that the taxes will go to um, the state health department to run the program, but will the state see any other benefits? Thank you, Madeline. Angie, would you want to take that first? Yes, that would be fine. The, the thing is, this is medical marijuana. We're not talking about recreational. So therefore, this is for the patients, this is for sick people. And so therefore, we do not feel at all that sick people should pay an extra tax. Uh, they shouldn't be tax burdened. We don't sales tax our pharmaceuticals, prescription drugs, so therefore, why should we tax medical marijuana patients who are already suffering? But it does call for a tax to be levied on the product, right? At whatever, the, maxing out at whatever the state yeah. sales tax level it, is? That is, uh, you know, a, a fee that can be added on up to 7%, an equivalent of the sales tax, which will actually go back to the Department of Health to help them with the rules and regulations and to keep this uh, program running. I think the, Wilson, the problem with this situation is that, yes, we don't tax prescription drugs in Mississippi, but this isn't a prescription. There is no prescription for marijuana. It's illegal under federal law. There's no control, ability to control dosage. There's no ability to control consistency. That, that's, that's what you get with a prescription. You go to a pharmacy. You're not going to go to a pharmacy to get this marijuana. You're going to go to a, dis, a, 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 a dispensary for it. And the concern that we have is that two of those conditions in that list of 22 are wide enough that you can drive a truck through it. When somebody goes to the doctor and says they have pain, they show you that pain chart with the smiley face at the top and the frown at the bottom, where is it on the list? If I say 10, you can't doubt it. How do you measure that? If I go in and find a doctor like you do with these opioid pill mills, sure, you know, I'll, dispensary here, doctor right here, here's your certificate, you go. And, and that's the concern that it's going to increase societal cost that we're going to have to pay for. It's going to be an increased burden on cities, but they don't get any revenue out of this. It's going to be an increased burden on law enforcement. There's no extra revenue for that. Increased burden on mental health. And why we know there's an increased burden on mental health because we've seen in other states that there's an increased use of marijuana in the state. And we know from the data and the science and the experts like the Institute of Medicine, National Institutes of Health, National Academy of Science, Journal of Neuroscience, that there's an increased risk for psychosis and schizophrenia. But we don't have a way to pay for that. So that is a big concern of us and the, the flaw of the actual language in the amendment. Another caller on the line now. Troy is with us from Greenwood. Troy, go ahead with your question. First of all, I'd like to thank you all for providing this forum for us to share our ideas and, <clears throat> and our concerns. I'm definitely going to vote for 65, uh, and that's a, uh, a new thing for me. There's no way in the world that I want to give this to the legislature because what they're going to do is build up uh, a system around it. Now, I know we're talking about the medical aspects of it, but the black and brown community have been devastated by these draconian marijuana laws. And I hope that this leads to 
uh, discussion on how we deal with it from a recreational standpoint. Not so much that I want it, but I'm tired of the legal system having such a precedence in the upbringing of our uh, and the impact that it has on our community. Now, we had no problem with um, making gambling legal. Alcohol is legal, which alcohol is really the gateway drug to all these other things. And then we're looking at uh, and cigarettes are legal. You can go and buy alcohol jello shots at the, at the, at the uh, corner store in our community. Now, do not, please, ladies and gentlemen, allow anybody to take away your freedoms. If we send this to the legislature, the first time you cross the street with it and you do something wrong outside of what they say, it is introduction for you into the criminal justice system. This is bigger than just the medical aspects of it. It's talking about how do we go about uh, dealing with a drug that is so pervasive in our community, but yet still the black and brown community suffer the most negative impact from it, especially when it comes to the criminal justice system. Right. Thank you so much. Troy, thank you. Go ahead, Jim. Because I agree with a lot of the points that, that Troy made there. And it's actually one of the real concerns I have with the way that this amendment is going to be structured, is I worry that it's going to create two classes of drug laws for people in Mississippi. Insurance doesn't pay for this. And it costs a couple hundred dollars an ounce to get marijuana. So it's, it's an all-cash business, because also under federal law, banks can't really service these, these industries. So if you're rich enough to afford the cash business and you're well-connected enough to get a doctor who'll give you the certificate, you can get your marijuana, you can say I have pain, and it's legal for you. If you're not rich enough and you're not well-connected enough, well, you're much more likely to get your marijuana off the street where it's actually less expensive because you've got to add in the, the regulatory cost and the 7% fee, et cetera. So you're more likely to get there. And you're still at risk of ending up in the criminal justice system. Let's say you end up, you live in public housing. You're a poor person. You live in public housing. It doesn't matter if you have a medical marijuana card, Wilson, because it's against federal law to have any kind of marijuana and be in public housing. So you risk losing your home, even though it's in our state constitution that you can, you can have it. It is a great concern to me that you're going to end up having a situation where if you're rich enough and, and, and well-connected enough, yours is legal. And if you're poor, once again, we end up, there's a lot, unfortunately, a lot of history in our state and around the country in America of having drug laws that are discriminatory and racist. And I'm worried that once again, in the interest of trying to do the right thing, we're going to end up creating a system that ends up doing the wrong thing and hurts the poorest among us. Angie, I'll let you respond. Well, Wilson, you know, People try to put a lot of fear in this, and a lot of issues have been raised, are, are risen about this. But, you know, people should have the right, black or white, red or yellow, to have a choice to choose what works for their body. And this is a natural medicine. It's been shown over and over through people that have used it. And, you know, we, they, we need to make sure that this is made available for patients with debilitating health conditions. It's, it's a struggle for all of us. And I would suggest, and I know, um, you know, with my son, I've, you know, gone through this process of how you get medical marijuana, because we obviously did for him, or he, he did. So, you know, my son had a, a three-ring binder plus another folder full of doctor's reports. And so we made an appointment with a medical marijuana doctor. We went to see him. 
the doctor established a relationship with my son. He talked to him. He would not allow me to speak for my son. He needed to establish that relationship. He made copies of the folder, the, the binder, and he saw Austin's report for epilepsy, which we know is you know, one of the 22 debilitating conditions. He saw the gastroenterology diagnoses. So therefore, you know, you don't walk in to see a medical marijuana doctor and just say, my knee's hurting today, can I get a prescription? That's just not the way it's done. And other states have a lot of restrictions and the doctors can lose their license. And so, you know, we don't want, they don't want that to happen. So therefore, after he established a relationship with Austin, he went through his files, he then sent to the Department of Health a certification that Austin qualified for a medical marijuana card. And so once Austin got the card in a timely manner, he was able then to go to a dispensary. Dispensaries are not ugly. They, it, um, you know, the opposition makes it out like it's some horrible place to go. And so when we walk in the door, there are actually two rooms. The first one, and there are security cameras there. They scan your, your driver's license and your medical marijuana card that has an ID system in it. And so it's being tracked so that we know how much you have. And then you will wait until a knowledgeable salesperson comes to get you and they go in there one-on-one -on -one with you. The patient is not able to touch any product. It's behind glass. And, and in this state, the product boxes are there, but the products themselves are not even in the glass. They're in another room that is safe and secure with the person who will then, after the salesperson has asked you multiple questions about you know, what your pains or your nausea and vomiting, your epilepsy, and they will suggest certain products for you. And then they have someone go to the back seal the product in a tamper-resistant bag, put the label on it, so you are not in transit with an open container, basically. So a controlled process when you're, when you're following the rules and it's done uh, legally and properly. Absolutely. We have a, a, another question from social media. This is from Bryant Mitchell on YouTube. He says, or asks, if either passes, would it have an impact on a person's past criminal record for possession? Do you know the answer to that? Uh, no. No, I mean this is this is not about. There's a there are a lot of good arguments, and in, in Mississippi has decriminalized uh, marijuana in many ways. And there's lots of debates about criminal justice reform. There's lots of debates about other drug laws and changing them. And those are worthwhile debates. That's not what this is. Um, this is about a, 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 a different a different issue, and uh, I think it's important to keep it focused on that. We don't have a lot of time left, but I do want to ask you, Jim, uh, we mentioned the 34 other states that, that have made, made it legal. Have they all gone the wrong direction? Uh, different states have different programs. And I, I think that you've seen then states that have put it in statute that they make changes. Uh, Oklahoma, which has a similar program, gave a lot more flexibility. Some states put it in the Constitution, but then in the constitutional amendment, they give the legislature the ability to change things. That's what's happening in Oklahoma right now. Uh, 
it's impossible to say that every state's done it right, every state's done it wrong, but it, it, what it does say is that you see a lot of states making changes to programs along the way, and with our amendment, it's so specific, and that Pro 65 say that's a good thing, and I respect that. I disagree. I don't think it's that good to be that prescriptive in the state constitution, and we've seen in other states that they've had to make adjustments along the way, which would be very, very hard for us to do with 65. And I would just say, on the other hand, 65A is so vague that there are no guarantees at all that it will ever pass and that there will be any legitimate rules and regulations that will benefit people with debilitating health conditions who are suffering. So you worry that if it were tied up with the legislature that it would be tied up there essentially forever, potentially? Yes, sir. What about um, the, 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 uh, the idea, though, of, of the legislature having some control? Do you, do you think that the health department should have full control over, over how this is done? Many states do have their Department of Health oversee the medical marijuana program. Now, you know, if I, I believe again that our Department of Health board, such as Jim and Dr. Dobbs, they are extremely right people, and I, I have full faith that they would be able to run this program adequately. I want to say, look, if this passes, and I'm, as you can tell, I'm passionately against it. I think it's a bad policy, bad approach. If it passes, we're going to do our absolute best to implement it, right? Because the people have spoken and may try to make it work. I think it's going to be hard the way it's written. But the one, there's one aspect of the constitutional amendment that says that the money that we get to run it will be spent by the Department of Health without any legislative appropriation or authorization. And that takes the governor and legislature completely out of it. So an unelected appointed board would be completely in charge. We thank you both. If you can believe it, we are out of time. If you missed parts of tonight's special, you can watch it again at mpbonline.org issue. And for day-to-day -day election coverage, visit mpbonline.org election and follow MPB News on social media. Also on the November ballot, Mississippians will be voting on the state flag, candidates for Congress, and how we select our statewide officials. We thank you for joining us and have a good night. Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.